Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and Rutgers beat reporter, Craig Epstein. Guys, we're going to talk about the Rutgers-Iowa football debacle. We're going to talk about the two basketball games from this past weekend and preview Georgetown. And also talk about the class of 2024, mostly officially signed, and maybe some uh, maybe some tinfoil will get pulled out. Who knows? Uh, first and foremost, though, let's talk football. Uh Rutgers obviously lost this past weekend in Iowa City, 22 to nothing to the Iowa Hawkeyes in a game where Rutgers was seen as kind of a pick here. It was a one-point underdog. Um, at no point in this game did they really even look like they had a chance. I think the closest Rutgers got was down to the Iowa 37, and they promptly committed two consecutive false starts uh, to kill that drive. <sighs> After we've all kind of ruminated on this game, Let's get our, we each get a, a 90 second rant. Craig, you can start. What were your takeaways from this game and how do you see this kind of season taking shape now that we've kind of seen Rutgers at its well, lowest just, points of the season? Let me just preface this by saying, I'm sorry if they catch any shrapnel because I just watched a weekend of football with zero touchdowns. So I'm kind of uh, aggravated and annoyed right now. So I'm sorry if they catch some shrapnel here, but I hate to sugarcoat. I don't want to sugarcoat it, but it was it was an embarrassment. It was terrible. I mean, to go in the year of 2023 to go to get shut out in football is just it's it's a debacle. Like it it just cannot happen. And not only did they not score, they were not there was no even threat of scoring. They didn't even get into field goal range. So I mean, just from top to bottom, play calling, coaching, quarterbacking, whatever it may be, the whole the offense on Saturday was just just terrible. And it just in it just can't happen anymore. They want to if they want to take that next step, because this was a game really that we all said we all predicted Rutgers was going to win. It was a I think going in it was Iowa one and a half. This was essentially a pick'em game. So to just get to just get destroyed in every in really every facet of the game, just it just cannot happen. If they want to take that next step, games like this need to stop. I mean, yeah. That was actually uh, probably 90 seconds on the dot. I don't know if I can do that, but um, it's a shit show. Like it, the offense is just pathetic. Like you didn't even get close to field goal range. It was miserable. Um, quarterback play again, abysmal. Like he's not accurate whatsoever. Even on his completed passes, and everyone's like, "Oh, look, he made like these completions." And it's like Dremel is fucking getting thrown up here, and he's just getting lucky. I shouldn't say lucky because he's very talented. He's getting beautiful catches, but he has to dive on the ground. So he's getting zero yards after the catch. Um, we just did the math before. What is it? They're averaging like four yards per catch or yards after the catch. Yeah, I think it's on the season. Uh, they're averaging four yards uh, after the catch per reception. But then if you look a little deeper, you know, if you take away maybe four <laughs> plays, the, the it drops down to like two and a half yards after the catch per catch. So yeah. Take take away they're Dremel basically falling down every time, or the, the pass is so inaccurate that they have mm -hmm. to stretch out and just basically get tackled immediately, or they're they're on the ground when they catch it because mm -hmm. they have no other option. Yeah, there's so many plays where you can get an extra four or five yards, and that's a difference maker when it's like like five six different receptions. Yeah, like it's a mm -hmm. huge difference maker. Um, but yeah, no, the offense is just, it's awful, man. Like they need a quarterback so bad. And I, I'm on the Gavin hate train at this point. I I'm sorry, but it's year three. He still hasn't figured it out. 20 plus games. Like something's got to give eventually. He's either got to figure it out how to throw accurately. And even on his accurate ones, he's throwing fucking fastballs four yards out. And it's like, dude, we, we told you, you can't do that. And then, uh, last but not least, like, dude, if, if it's his decision and we're going to find out today, cause I'm probably going to ask the question to Shiano. Um, whose decision is it to let him run or not? Because if he, it's his decision, he's got, he's got to like, someone's got to tell him like, dude, fucking tuck and run. Like yeah. that's your best ability. And you, you're not using it. You used it three times and it was for what? Negative yards or five yards or whatever it was on Saturday. Ugh, I think he had disgusting. a long of three. Yeah. yeah and then college football, unfortunately, 
sacks get counted against your rushing totals. So yeah. you really have to you really have to kind of like tease out those numbers in college. And especially when Manungai went into this game questionable with uh with an injury. I mean, he's all I mean, it's 10 games. You can see like this is what happens when you replay a ground and pound style of offense. Like it's just really hard to sustain it. So you get to week 10, Manungai, who I'm not even sure what it is, but I'm sure it's just from just taking a constant pounding every week. You can't, you know, taking 20 plus carries Lost. every what was it? What you say? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> nothing. When you, just, nothing. <laughs> when you take twenty plus, when you take twenty plus carries every week, eventually the the wear and tear is going to get to you. So yeah, at times Gavin is going to have to start tucking and running just to save Manunga. Yeah, it's kind of like boxing with one hand. Like you could beat up on really bad boxers if you have a really nice right hook, but if you don't have a left hand, you don't have anything to go to as a counter. If you don't have anything to go to when your right hook isn't working. Mm-hmm. See what we happened Saturday. There was literally nothing we could do because we couldn't run the ball. And Shiano said, you know, that was the primary reason the offense didn't look good because we couldn't run the ball and that's who we are. And that is code for we can't pass. Our passing game is not good enough to take over if our running game is not there. But I want to talk about the defense because the defense really let us down on Saturday. And I'm not saying individual players, but schematically, we got coached circles around by Brian Ferentz. Iowa had not had over 20 first downs in any game this season. They had 21 against this on Saturday. They were averaging 12 a game. They completed nine. They, they, they converted nine of 18 third downs on Saturday. They were averaging on the season, coming into this game, 27% on third down. They threw for 223 yards passing. Deacon Hill, Deacon Hill, a.k.a. PFF's 330th out of 331 graded quarterbacks. He's the second to last, the second to worst quarterback in PFF's grading. He had a career high by almost double. His previous career high coming in to Saturday was 116 yards passing. He completed 65% of his passes on the season. He was completing 47% of his passes. Even plays that Rutgers defense did make, like the Max Melton interception, falls down. Probably he's probably still running to this day if he catches that clean. And that felt like the only way we could really score points on Saturday is if we had some kind of pick six or scoop and score. But Brian Ferentz was just using guys in motion, getting schemed up separation left and right. We had busted coverages. Nobody showed up to play on Saturday. The defense did play pretty well up to a certain point. But I feel like this was a coaching loss first and foremost. And then we talked about Gavin. I just mentioned the defense, threw them under the bus a bit. But for us not to be able to stop Deacon Hill lining up an empty, like the guy is the least threatening quarterback in all of the power five in terms of passing ball, in my opinion, even worse than Gavin. And we couldn't do anything to stop him on Saturday. The only thing that we could do to stop him was him just throwing terrible passes, which he did a few times. He missed wide-open guys probably five or six times. So his completion percentage was probably lower than the completion percentage he probably should have had because there was guys running open on basically every play. So this was a coaching failure first and foremost. How many pre-snap penalties do we have on Saturday? What, five on offense? That is yeah. a lack of preparation. Jared talked about Seven. you know, how the biggest... The biggest impact for those penalties was the crowd noise. And he said, we thought we prepared them during the week by, you know, pumping in crowd noise to practice. Guys, we've played at Michigan. We've played at Penn State last year. We've played at Ohio State last year. We've been in front of big crowds. For some reason, we couldn't handle their crowd this past weekend. That, to me, just screams they were not prepared for this game. That falls on coaching. So this is a coaching loss, first and foremost. The players didn't play well. They know what their, their personnel is at this point. They know that Gavin can't throw the ball. They know that if we can't run the ball, we're screwed. But that being said, the coaches didn't design up anything different. They didn't try anything schematically different than we've run all season. And when you have nine games of game film to fall back on as a coach preparing for a team, it's relatively easy to figure out what the opponent's going to do. And since we're not throwing in anything to mix that up, we're just kind of like taking our lumps at this point. And I don't see that changing this week. I don't see how we're going to beat Penn State. Penn State is a supercharged version of Iowa because they have 
better players basically at every position and uh, they play a similar way where they want to run the ball. They have an elite defense and they want to come out and prove something on Saturday since they just fired Yurisich, their offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. James Franklin loves to, to beat down teams when he has the opportunity to run up the score. And if, you know, Rutgers puts out the performance they did against Iowa on Saturday against Penn State, we're going to lose that game by 40. It's fair. Yeah. But again, you know, I'll I'll fall back to this. This is a successful season. Where's my my lines? It's a successful (laughs) season. We won six games. We're ahead of schedule, blah, blah, blah. That's all good and great. But here's my, the way I compare it to. Let's say you're planning out your year, right? You have your financial plan, you have whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get a scratch off ticket for your birthday. You don't buy lottery tickets, but your aunt buys you one. And you win a million dollars on a scratch off ticket. Don't you think that would change your plans for the year? Don't you think that you would maybe approach things differently? Maybe not take as much shit at your job. Maybe kind of view things as like, I don't need to, you know, eat out once a month anymore. I could eat out once a week because I now can afford it. That's kind of the way I look at this season. Just because of the expectations we had coming into the season doesn't mean that we can't adjust when we have new data and new observations. This team, collectively, is good enough to have more wins than six right now. We should, be, we should have a better record at this moment, given how well the team's performed up to this point, given how poorly our opponents have performed. If you just look at the entire Big Ten Outside of a few teams, they've all basically underperformed. This is a year of missed opportunities in the second half of the season. We should yeah. have beaten Ohio State. I will die on that hill. We should have won that game. It's We led going into halftime. We're marching down the field in the third quarter. We're about to go up two scores. And the bottom falls out. Ohio State was shook. You come out, out of the half and you punch them in the throat. I don't know if they come back from that game. This is just a season of missed opportunities like that in the second half. So that is that is why I think it's appropriate to reestablish where we should be, even though preseason expectations were X. The results and observations say they are not X. They should be more like Y. So I, I just hate when people are like, oh, what were you saying preseason? You, you, you guys expected five wins and now you're complaining that they have six? Like, get out of here with that. That is not how observations work. You can... You can reassess when you see different things happening. That's it. That's all. That's all I got. That's my rant. Yeah, I know I was more than ninety say, seconds, I mean, I, but I, no. I completely agree with you, Mike. I mean, definitely. But uh, I just don't think we can minimize. It, I don't think we can minimize just the quarterbacking for this team. I, mean, I hate feeling like I'm piling on Gavin, but it's just like how many games would, like you said, how many games I feel like they would have won if they just got better quarterback play. I think they would have won the Ohio State game if they got better quarterback play because they had when they had their foot on the throat of Ohio State. They basically just stopped throwing the ball. I mean, when they're that's why in the red zone they couldn't score touchdowns because they just didn't throw the ball. And then obviously we they eventually got that pick. They eventually threw that Gavin threw that pick six. Completely turns the game. We've said in the past if they get back at a better quarterback play, they probably would have beaten Wisconsin. And if he throws the pick six, completely changes the game. And then this past game, I think if they had better quarterback play, they could have won this game. So there's three games right there that if you get just even just average quarterback play. You pro- you might win the game, and they, we could be looking at an eight win team right now, or I know nine win team, but this point no, still stands. Yeah, I think eight's probably the same eight. number. Yeah, eight's probably the same number. Yeah, but but either way, if you just got if they just got average quarterback play this year, they're probably an eight win team. So I mean, it just all falls back to that because, like you said, when you're going through when you were talking when you were talking that that you said they they didn't throw you can't they they know they don't have a quarterback that can't throw the ball. That's kind of a big deal. Like if you can't throw the ball, then it, yeah. what, what what are you doing out there? Then just just run the wildcat. Like it's it's just his. I mean, I've, I went over it in my three thoughts. Uh, his completion percentage is forty eight forty. I think like forty eight point two percent. I mean, he he seems like he's getting just he's getting worse by the week, and it's just gotten to. A, and they only throw the ball like what sixteen times, seventeen <laughs> times a game. I mean, we've talked about it in the past, and we're probably going to talk about it now, unless he takes significant strides in these last two games into the offseason, should they go out and find a quarterback in the transfer portal? Well, I mean, all they got to do is find a guy who can hand the ball off and complete 50-plus percent of his passes. Like, I'm sorry, but 
you can find that in the transfer. I'm sorry, you can. Yeah. Or even yeah. if it's just even if it's just give uh, Simon or Sarace Sir- or Shepard a shot, a serious shot. He, you cannot to me. You just unless again, unless he makes serious strides. These last two games are in the offseason, which to be honest, I don't know because right now it's not even like he's oper- operating at like a mid level to get to that next. He's operating at the basement. I mean, again, forty eight point two percent of his passes. Come on, that's that's just that's ridiculous. So. Again, I just cannot. I just can't see them just handing over the keys to Gavin unless you know, unless he makes some serious, serious strides. Totally agree. I mean, that you, you said you said it all. Like it's, uh, it's disgusting. It's awful, and then he's getting worse. Like it's not helping. He's not getting better. There's no development. And people could be like, well, yeah, he's only throwing twelve times a game, like small sample size. And then you go to the big sample sizes, and his completion percentage is lower than the small sample sizes. Like. <laughs> It's like 28 or what was it? 35 attempts against Wisconsin, 45%. 28 attempts versus Michigan State, 46%. 12 attempts. And then it goes down to 41, 40, and 38. So literally his completion percentage has gotten worse over the last three games. Like, and that's a shitty Indiana team. And that was still borderline 40%. Yeah. No, it's I'm not asking much. Just, just complete 50%. Honestly, it'd be one thing more, if but... it was fifty percent and our receivers weren't getting separation. Yeah, you know, our They're guys open. were dropping passes left and right. <laughs> there are open guys on the majority of of routes run. We're missing high. We're missing low. Mm-hmm. It's like a damn Dr. Seuss novel. If you <laughs> could write a book about you know inaccurate quarterback play, every single thing you could rhyme, every little limerick you can come up with with incompletions, it would be in this book this year. Like, and again, I can I can hear it already. I know Chris, they're missing Chris Long. Jaquay Jackson may be done for the year. I don't know. It looked like the injury looked bad. I mean, if you're going out from yeah. where he landed and where, the fact they didn't come back in, I have a feeling that injury is. I don't know if he's coming back from that. But um, I I know the coaching wasn't great on Saturday. But in fairness to Kirk, to Kirk, how many times have we said this year that his game plan, that his offensive coordinating has been you know good? I mean, we've commended him for. I'd say most of the season. So he had a bad game. He had a bad calling game Saturday, really bad. But we just cannot, uh, we just can't, but I guess we, we can't just blame it all on Kirk. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we, we've, we've given him his flowers. And throughout the season, if you look, Gavin has just gotten, like I said, worse and worse by the week. I mean, th- there's a pattern here. So it's just, that's just kind of my opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we've beaten that's this, it. this horse a little too much here. I, We've we've said everything we needed to say. Nobody's yeah. happy with the offense on the the, the throwing side of the ball. Um, I hope they get it fixed this year. I don't wish anything negative against Gavin. Trust me, if if he could flip a switch and be a guy who could just Great. hit open receivers with regularity, I'll take that all day. It's nothing against the kid. It's we've seen two and a half years of him playing at this point, and there's been not a huge change in his play. So at some point, yeah. do we just, there's, there's a, a saying that says when somebody sh- tells you who they are, believe them. He's told us who he is. Why are we not believing him at this point? Yeah. And you, you just can't fix accuracy. I'm, I'm in that boat too. Um, I know it was Mike Leach, Kyle Shanahan too, I think it was. You, yeah. You, you can't fix it. And, and this is kind of proof because it's year three. It's, there's no difference between this and year one and year two. Like, it looks like the same thing over and over again. Yep. Anyway, let's uh let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Let's talk about Rutgers basketball. So since the last time we all spoke, Rutgers played twice. They played on Friday night and they played on uh, Sunday afternoon. They got two wins. They beat Boston University sixty nine to forty five. Yesterday afternoon, they beat Bryant sixty six to fifty seven. Mm. I think we can all agree uh, this team is still coming together. Uh, neither of those wins were particularly. Uh, Easy at, per, at points. Uh, in the second half, Rutgers really started to separate from Boston University, but in the first half, it was kind of rough. Uh, yesterday, it was not really easy at any point. Um, Rutgers really kind of pulled away a little bit at the end, but in most of the second half, that was, you know, three point, four point game. Bryant was winning midway through yeah. the second half. What are your guys' overall impressions on the basketball team so far? Rich, I'll start with you. They're. 
not as bad as the scores are reflecting. Like I know like Bryant or Boston, I think it was like close to tied or like two point game, whatever it was at half, I forget. Uh Bryant was like a four point game at half and even like like you said, they only won by like they, I know they won by nine, but like the game was a lot closer than it made it look. Um Bryant was winning at one point in the second half, like you said. Um but they're just trying to figure out what fits well together. I think it's just more experimenting at this point. You've seen Pike do already two different starting rotations. You've seen Austin Williams in there. You saw Derek Simpson in there. You saw Antoine Wolfolk now as a starter. Um, so I think it's just more about finding what guys fit together and what guys play together well. I know you mentioned it. Um, I don't even know what podcast it was. One of our podcasts um, saying, like, or maybe this maybe this wasn't even on a podcast, but like Noah and Derek probably can't be on the court at the same time because they kind of play such a similar style. And but Derek yeah, gets so much phenomenal. length there. It's tough yeah. to, to defend with two guys that short. Yeah. Um, so that's why like Austin Williams is probably out there more. Um, although he's not really playing a ton, it's it's weird. You kind of just try to. This is what out of conference play is supposed to do when you play these um lower level matchups. You're supposed to be able to figure out stuff, kind of experiment, see what works, what doesn't. Like who who would have thought Wolfwalk would be the starting four? And he's also the backup five, so it's like a weird role for him too. Um, I think you just got to figure it out, and then the shooting's just been pathetic like it's been bad bad like layups again they're missing what was it yesterday I had it just in front of me layups 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 nine of 22 on layups like that's that's really that's bad 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 yeah 26 three, points they're just laying right out there three point percentage was 18 percent, and they took 22 attempts like it's just you, you gotta hit these shots like someone's got to start hitting i know griffiths was off yesterday but if he's off then someone else has to step up and I guess they're more comfortable with letting guys shoot through their slumps too, because like Griffith's one of eight, uh, two of eleven from the field. Um, Andre Hyatt, yes, nineteen points, five of fourteen, but he went two of eight from three point land. And it's like all these points yesterday almost came from free throws, and that's that's fine. Like if you can draw those fouls and get thirty four three throws per game, <laughs> but that's that's like not going to happen every game. So I I don't know. I think you just have to just kind of figure out what works, what doesn't. And once you do, I think the team has a pretty high ceiling. It's just until you find that, you're kind of in like a, a no man's land trying to be like, all right, this shit doesn't work. Damn, what do we do? Do we keep it out there to see if they can gel a little bit or do we switch it up completely? And I think you'll probably see a, maybe a little switch up in the lineup again or rotations. I think you have to. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll, this is kind of like the double-edged sword a little bit with having just so <clears> many <throat> pieces coming into the season that really haven't played together is the fact that yeah you have all this depth and things like that but it's going to take time to figure out who like you said who gels where and this is kind of the byproduct of it um the, the shooting yeah like you said the shoot the shooting has just been horrendous though i mean it's got it has to improve i mean they shot i think 49 combining free field goal and three against bryant 49 percent. i mean again it's just I don't know why. It just seems like year after year they just they just don't shoot well, and it's just well, they were thirty one percent from the field on yeah. uh, Sunday against Bryant, and they, yeah, and then I think eighteen percent from three. So mm-hmm. yeah, so combined. field goals combined three pointers and two pointers already. So it's thirty one percent. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it's just it just it just needs it needs to improve, and it's nice. You know, again, it's nice to tr- want to try and figure out what works where. But in, in college basketball, things can get late early. So if you drop a game like to a Bryant or, God, you know, God forbid you lost to Boston University, you're just spending the next how many games trying to basically fight uphill and erase that type of performance. I mean, give credit to Rutgers. They've they've won those games. You look across the you look across the Big Ten. You got Michigan State lost to James Madison. You got, and then you saw the other. Yeah. Was it yesterday? You saw Georgetown Maryland. lose to Holy Cross. So basketball is a sport where it takes time. Like it, it's it just to figure out what works where. So mm-hmm. Rutgers, I mean, and Princeton. Princeton looks like they're a good team. Brian, I think, could end up being a good team. So they're at so far the teams they've played have been pretty decent. So even if they were to lose those games, they I don't think they would have been you know nukes. But um, they just got to figure it out, and you got to avoid you know losing to one of these you know. Cupcake games, really? Yeah, yeah. Losing to to Boston University would have been a nuke because yeah. they're in the three hundreds in terms of uh, at least Ken Palm right now. I don't think net rankings come out until about midway through the season, mm-hmm. but that would have been a you know a uh, resume mm-hmm. nuke for sure. This is a team that, from my perspective, we we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you have 
a lot of new chefs in the kitchen trying to cook a meal. So trying to just figure out roles, responsibilities, who should do what. I don't think anybody wants to seem like they're, uh, you know, being a ball hog or anything like that right now. They're trying to feel each other out. That's going to take some time. But a lot of these underlying numbers are scary. Like we talked about, you know, field goal percentage at the rim. You know, shooting under 50% at the rim is awful. It shouldn't happen for a program like Rutgers, but it's happened a couple of years in a row where we've struggled at the rim. Free throw shooting is taking a big step back this year. Mm-hmm. I think as a team right now, we're shooting around 65% from the line. Uh, yesterday in the game, we shot what? We shot 70% from the line. That's what we finished at. But I believe in the first half, we were shooting like 45% from the line. Um, against BU, we shot 53% from the line in the game. Like this, you need you need to be able to shoot free throws at a decent clip. And that was a big struggle for, for Rutgers under uh, Steve Peichel the first few seasons he was here. We really started to see that get cleaned up. But this year, not a great start there. Three-point shooting is a big problem right now for this team. Um, they're shooting 40, 24% as a team from three, you know, you've seen some, some good moments from players, but even a guy like Gavin is shooting 23% from, from three, um, good. guys like Andre Haidt who have taken a fair amount of three pointers so far, he's shooting 31%. Hopefully this is something that as they get comfortable with each other, as they kind of see what plays work what kind of like sets work get some more open looks but the offense in general just kind of kind of looks a little disjointed um defensively i think we've had more missed assignments this year than we're used to from a steve pike led defense but again that is a cohesiveness thing like when defense is really working and really humming it's because all five guys on the court know in every scenario where they need to be how to make switches you know, how to, you know, you know, when you're coming back to your guy, have active hands in the passing lanes, like it just seems like we're kind of lost out there in moments for certain guys. And I think that'll get cleaned up as the season goes on. We're playing a lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys right now. But this is just going to be a Steve Peichel coaching job here because we've already kind of seen what's on the horizon for next year. Um, this is. Arguably going to be Steve Peichel's hardest coaching job since he got to Rutgers from the sense of there are expectations that this team can make the NCAA tournament. I think Steve Peichel's job overall has been incredibly difficult and very impressive. I just mean this little snapshot, you know, four years in a row where you basically should have made the tournament for different reasons you did or did not. And now you're coming off of a lot of the the OGs from when you were coaching here. Okay, he McConnell for a couple of years removed now from Geo and Ron. Uh, this is like a to- whole, whole new batch outside of Cliff. So and Andre, so it's going to yeah. be a tough job, but I think Michael can definitely do it. It's just going to take some time. The the issue there is like, what is going on with Cliff? I know he had a great second half yesterday, but his first half was like ugly. He had two points and two rebounds in the first half against Bryant. The game before that, he had what was it? five points and five rebounds and three turnovers against Boston, whose biggest guy is 6'9", like 215. Like, I don't know what happened these past two games with Cliff, but he's – I know he obviously – he bounced back yesterday because he had a double-double in the second half. But, like, the first half, like, you should be abusing these teams. They're not good, like, at all. Like, what is going on? Yeah, I really, yeah, it's, it's, it is confounding. Because again, we went to the season figuring Cliff was going to be the most consistent player, which I guess he kind of has been through the first few games, but he picked oh, up, yeah. what, two fouls in the first like three minutes yesterday against <clears throat> Bryant and mm-hmm. just bounced back in the second. I mean, I saw he had that put back over uh, Gavin. So, I mean, when the, when it's money time, it seems like he's shown up through the first few games, but it's just about putting those two halves mm-hmm. together. Because if he can, if he can put those two halves together, we've seen in the past, he's he can be the most dominant player on the floor. And if he can do that, mm-hmm. then it's going to open up the shooters. I mean, it's really just the complimentary thing. The shooters can open up Cliff, and Cliff can open up the shooters. Now it's just all figuring out how to put those things together. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Um, I expected more out of Cliff, too. I expected a pretty dominant season. In fairness, he hasn't been playing that much, minutes-wise. I knew against... No. Against Bryant, that was because of the foul trouble early on. But against BU and Princeton, like 
he started both games, but he came out after the the first media timeout in both games and just kind of like sat there for five, six minutes. Mm-hmm. Like t- if you look at the last few years, how Cliff's used, they like to get him through the first eight, nine minutes of the game, ideally at most one foul, no foul trouble, and then get him sat until the, the third media timeout. That's typically been how he's been utilized in terms of minutes on the floor. Um, clearly that's been changed this year. I think early on in the season is it's kind of like pseudo preseason for college basketball where it was awesome to get that, that St. John's game this year because it it was like a real game environment, but not real game consequences. So he, Michael, I'm sure got to try out a lot of stuff, see what some of his guys were made of, but you still need to kind of figure out when there are foul trouble situations throughout the season, when there are injuries that pop up, who works together on the floor? Like, what can I go to as a plan B or plan C throughout the season? And that's the kind of stuff you need to kind of figure out in the preseason. And not, I say the preseason, I don't mean the preseason. I mean, early on against these Bryants, the Boston universities. So things aren't naturally always going to look pretty because you're figuring out, okay, if Cliff goes down, what are my lineups going to look like? And maybe that's why he's sitting him for extended periods because he knows we need Cliff in the Big Ten meet of the schedule. We don't necessarily need him against Bryant. We don't need him against Boston University. But at points, we did need him against yes- yesterday. We were losing yeah. in the second half. So, again, I'm, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I'm just trying to rationalize like why we don't really look as good as we expected so far. And I think it's, I think it's a layered, complicated thing that uh, isn't easily explainable. It makes me wonder too, like if he's like, I, I, he's obviously healthy enough to play, but is he a hundred percent? Because like we saw him go to the locker room for uh, the Boston game and he just, in the struggles in the first half, like did something like, is he just not there completely? Is he a, just something hurting him? Like we, we know, we never know. Cause remember like, I think it was Ron, Ron was playing through back injuries or no, Caleb was playing through back injuries. Ron was playing through an injury too. I think it might've been a back actually as well. Um, So is he playing through an injury? Is that what it is? Like, I would just like to know personally, but they'll never say it. I'll be honest, though. That now I look at this game against Georgetown on Wednesday. This is a pretty big game early on. I mean, you don't know what you're getting from Georgetown <laughs> this year. Like they could, they could, they could be a, either a pretty, either Cooley will figure things out and they'll end up being, you know, maybe a pretty good team, or they might not be very good. Because, like I said, they lost to Holy Cross. I mean, it's going to take some time for them to figure out their stuff. And if you drop it to Georgetown. And they end up being, you know, crap this year. That's gonna that's gonna look bad for your resume. But if you beat Georgetown and they end up being, you know, at least a decent team, I mean, it goes for both sides, really. Both sides, right now, you don't really know what you're getting from them. So you really just want to go out facing Georgetown home and just beat them. And I know, I think we kind of have an idea that uh, they kind of have a little bit of added extra motivation going into this one with everything that went on in the off season. So really, just go out, beat Georgetown, and just add another win to your resume. That. Because you don't know how it's going to look in the coming months. Yeah. Yeah, Bartorvik has Georgetown ranked 152nd right now. Uh, to give some context, Princeton's 114, Bryant's at 192nd, and uh, Boston University is 349th. So they're bottom 15, according to Bartorvik's rankings. So hmm. is a game Rutgers should win? They will be a heavy favorite against Georgetown. There's going to be a ton of motivation. It's really the kind of the first big-ish home game of the season for Rutgers. Uh, I imagine it'll be a real sellout um, on Sunday. Anytime you're going against Sunday NFL, it's going to be tough to, to get a big crowd. And It didn't look like they were uh, at full capacity, I'll say, on Sunday, but it was a sellout. Um, but moving on to future hoop stuff, um, there was a lot of consternation about, you know, this is a great recruiting class, but, you know, wake me up when they sign. They're going to get poached because, you know, I'm NIM, nah, 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 all that crap. Some <laughs> of it we should have been worried about. Some of it we really was just totally manifested out of thin air. Three out of the four committed guys have now signed. Bryce Dorch signed last week. We had Dylan Grant sign last week. And on Saturday night, late in the evening, it might even been Sunday morning, Ace Bailey <laughs> signed his letter of intent with Rutgers University in front of his family, in front of his friends, in front of his teammates, in front of his coaches, in front of some uh, people who might not have been expected to be there either. We'll talk about that. 
So three fourths of this class is currently signed. Uh, how can can we just talk about how monumental? I don't think people have 100 percent appreciated how monumental of a signing Ace Bailey is for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This was something that was speculated and doubted by anybody who was willing to you know give their opinion on it. I met I was in Vegas this past summer for a conference for my job. And I ended up meeting somebody who used to play at Syracuse. He runs a scouting service. And he, I was telling him about how well Rutgers is recruiting in basketball. And he said, oh, yeah, they're not going to sign. I said, what do you mean? They're committed. Like, they've, we've got NIL lined up for or NIL lined up for them. Sorry. And he said, yeah, somebody's going to come in with a bigger bag. We've seen it. I was like, I don't think sure. it's going to happen, but okay. <laughs> so basically anybody who was even on, like, you know, the periphery is like, this isn't going to happen. And it happened. So to all the people who doubted it, you know, stick it where the sun don't shine. But just talk about how monumental this signing is for Rutgers. Ace Bailey, the number two ranked recruit in the country, probably the highest upside of the class, and that's including Cooper, uh, Cooper Flag, in my opinion. Rich, you I... talk to national guys all the time. How big of a deal is this? They, they're just as shocked as probably everyone else. Um, probably like that Syracuse guy. Um, it's like, holy shit, they got who? They got number two in the country? Oh, all right. Well, that's that's pretty crazy, but eh, he's one and done. Wait, they're going to get number what? They're, they might get number three, too? Like, wait, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is insane. Like, this is... Remember when Darius Hamilton committed? I'm not, even, I'm not going to say Darius Hamilton, actually. I'm going to say Savon Huggins. When Savon Huggins committed and everyone freaked out because he's like one of the best players in New Jersey, blah, 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 high four-star. Then remember when Anthony Davis thing. committed? Everyone's like, oh, high, high, yeah, the high four-star, giant, giant, big name. Big name, like, and then like Anthony Davis and all <laughs> them. And it's just like, this is bigger than that. Way, way bigger than that. This is number two in the country. For comparison... A guy who has a similar build at number two in the country from, uh, I forget what class he was in, 20, oh, 2006. His name was Kevin Durant. Like, this is. And what was he like, ranked in the country? Number two. Yep. <laughs> Coincidence? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, but I've been comparing the two forever. And that's my favorite comparison because they're just tall, lengthy forwards that can put the ball on the floor, can play above the rim, can do anything you want, literally. And I've had other reporters tell me this, like, like I've been talking to them about Ace forever. Over the summer, we talked about it, and one guy was telling me, he's like, uh, yeah, I mean, Ace, just he's just a flashy player, just plays above the rim. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what you see. And I, like, I see something completely different. I see a guy that's basically a 6'9 point guard that can dunk, can score, can shoot, can defend. See the snatch block yesterday or two days ago? It's like, what the, how do you go against them? You can't. Um, this is insane. And I know we're hyping up Ace a lot too, but the, the whole class is really good. Like Dylan Grant was unranked when Rutgers got him. He's now in, I think he's 140, no, 129. And he just continues to look better and better. Um, Bryce Dorch was a top 150 kid when he committed. I think he's just outside that range right now, but he has a chance to go right back into the top 150 if he has a good season too. Um, this, this whole class. And then I, I know Lathan didn't sign yet technically. But he's in the 90s. Like, this is going to be a step, not even a stepping stone. This is like a monumental leap from like the past couple classes to this. Like, this is next level basketball. And that's why everyone was like fearful over recruiting over the past couple of months because no one expected Rutgers to be this high of a level of recruiting. And they're here. And it's not like they're leaving it. They're, they're, they got Trey McKenney on campus. They got Darius Acuff coming to campus. They got another five star, another four star. The kid from Cleveland, whose name I can't remember, is coming to campus. Like, and he's a top 50, 60 kid. Right? Brandon Storrs Jr. is one of, um, one of the guys that we were talking about, technically a little bit leaning towards Rutgers. He's a top 90 kid. They're not going anywhere. This is here to stay. And this class is just the beginning of what could be Rutgers turning into, and I'm going to say it, a potential blue blood. A red blood. A scarlet new blood. blood. New blood, not blue blood. <laughs> new blood. Sorry. New blood. No, I mean... Like, yeah, the New Bloods, because that's like Gonzaga, all them. The New Bloods, not the Blue Bloods, whatever. Wow. Okay. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, you know, in the past, how just insane their recruiting has just taken it a step up. But I just, I just cannot wait to watch Ace Bailey, you know, play for Rutgers. It's just so exciting. Watching just the clips of, like you said, 
the snatch block. I saw him just dunk on another kid. I mean, he's just he's an alien. I mean, he's really just going to be he's going to be like a like at the like a lottery pick if not a top pick in the draft. And he's just there's nothing he cannot do on the basketball floor. So just to be able to watch a guy like that play for you know the program that we're going to be covering is just so exciting. And the fact that it he's he might not be coming alone, like we said, there was a certain somebody in the in the crowd watching him t- sign his letter, and the the other the, Dylan Grant, Dalton Somerville. It's just this team is just going to be the ceiling for this team next year, and just really in the future is just going to be so high. And I just cannot, I just can't wait. Is to watch. the roof ceiling is the yeah the ceiling is the roof, but the yeah, ceiling I mean, is the roof. <laughs> oh man, it's just I'm just so excited. It's just going to be so much fun to watch and cover. And you just you got to be grateful for those three four months because that's it. Like he's gone. Like one hundred percent. I talked to NBA. I talked to NBA scouts this summer. At Detroit, or not summer. Whatever fall summer. I don't even know what season it is right now. Preseason during practices, and they're they're all talking about Ace Bailey. They're like, dude, I can't wait to see that guy. Like he's a top five pick, and I'm like, yo, top five. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like that dude. Hang hang the jersey from the rafters now. I don't care. So like, the Brooklyn deserves one. No, oh, we're not that low. <laughs> and, and and just the the way that Steve Peigel spoke about him in his, you know, they, they do these like thirty minute little like clips they put up of just you know a cool animation with Steve Peigel speaking uh, about joining guys joining the knighthood. He was saying he's got the quickest feet he's ever seen from a high school basketball prospect. He's got the he's got an elite ability on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And he is going to go down as one of the all-time greats at Rutgers basketball. Like that is stuff that Steve Peichel, who's extremely measured, is saying about Ace Bailey. And I don't think he's off base. He is totally justified with this level of hype. I mean, if you just look at like over the years, the level of talent player that is the number two ranked player in the country, according to rivals. Yeah. You got the Paolo Bancaros, you got the Kevin Durant's. You got Eric Gordon, you got Drew Holiday, you got DeMarcus Cousins, you got Anthony Davis. Like, all these guys are top 10 draft picks. A lot of these guys are uh, MVP level candidates. Not all of them. I'm just kind of throwing out some names that were number two. Like, this is, this is nuts. This is, it's going to be so much fun to hear national people talk about Rutgers basketball team next year. Like, just get ready because if things break the way that it seems like they're going to, and we've been dancing around the who was at Ace Bailey's uh, signing, Dylan Harper and his mom were at Ace Bailey's signing. Dylan Harper put up a live from Ace Bailey's signing. You gotta wonder, it is a Saturday in November. It's not, you know, a drive around the corner type, you know, uh, of a trip. I mean, we've talked about this. Dylan has made it known he kind of wants to commit at the uh, at the City, City of Palms. Palms event in December. Let's break out our friend, Mr. Tinfoil. <laughs> this this feature is sponsored by Reynolds Wrap. Reynolds Wrap, uh, the best tinfoil around. Yeah, Reynolds Reynolds Wrap. Maybe not. <laughs> that just fell I apart. pulled a little <laughs> too small of a sheet, so bear with me here. So the early signing period ends on Wednesday, November 15th. You can't sign and be committed via a national letter of intent outside of this window. So you can't, even if you wanted to submit it on the 16th, the NCAA won't allow. You can't sign again until April. That's five months. Now, My birthday if month. you are basically committed, as it seems that he is right now, and you want to commit in December, you're going to commit and be unattached no i think it is a strong possibility that he secretly signs before wednesday and the staff doesn't announce it they keep it under wraps they keep that under lock and key under until he wants to commit under tinfoil and key because (laughs) they want to be able to announce that when he announced it if the staff even wanted to talk about him committing in December, say that's the actual date. They can't. It is against NCAA rules to talk about guys who are not signed with your program. So they can't use that at all to benefit them until April. 
by that time the season's over, the off-season program's already in full swing. So I think it is I think it's even better than 50% chance that he signs during the early period and the staff doesn't announce it. And you look at what they did with Jamichael Davis this late spring. Mm-hmm. He signed. He just wanted to have an event with his family there. It didn't work out. So the staff never announced him. We always were saying, don't worry about it. He's trying to have an event. The staff is respecting that. And they're not announcing it because they want him to have his moment. He didn't have that opportunity. So it ended up not getting announced. I think a similar thing could happen here for the early period. Now, what do you guys think? 100%. I I concur. I'm on, I'm on board with you. <laughs> I concur. For the, for, for the sake for the sake of Richie's like sleep, and I just I just hope you're right. <laughs> and again, that was me speculating. I do not have any information saying that is true. I am connecting dots. I am just putting together what makes sense to me. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. And I would think because isn't the, been... he's playing? Isn't he playing ace at the at? Jersey Mike's in December. I mean, isn't that the whole? I, mean, I forget. Isn't that the whole mm-hmm. thing? Is oh, yeah. no. playing. He's playing Ace well, at City of Palms. Oh, he's gotcha, playing in the same that. event in December at the at the rack with with uh, McKee Churn and a bunch of other schools. Gotcha. Well, anytime yeah. he steps into that building, it's gonna be you know the, the question is gonna be asked. Like it's just like that type of thing. So December, like you said, December at the time where it's gonna be like you know what's going on. Like it, it just it just it makes sense. That's that's why I agree with you. I agree 100%. I think it's very realistic. I think he's been committed for a long time. And I think we even heard rumors of a silent commit back in summer. Like, it, it's just, you can't convince me it's not done, like a done deal. Like, you don't just, they always talked about was, hey, like, I care about my senior season, my senior season, my senior season, my senior season. It's clear he doesn't really want to focus on recruiting during the season. Hence why he had an original date of post-Peach Jam, um, whatever, whatever that could have been. Um, because he wants to focus on his season. Like he, this is a big season for Don Bosco. They're not doing a, a typical regional schedule. They're having a totally national schedule this year. Um, like you said, they're going down the city of Palms. They're playing at the rack against the I forget who it is, a big name opponent. Playing OTE. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, the OTE thing. Like he does not want to focus on recruiting at all. And I do think he probably has been committed. I do think he probably signed. And him and Ace, if you you see them on. TikTok on whatever they're on so they're, they're like best friends pretty much at this point and they hang out together all the time they're at all these camps together they're at the USA camp mini camp together at uh what was it Steph Curry's camp together they're the weekend they spent at Rutgers together um and it's not just Ace and Dylan either from what I was told is like um Dylan and Ace both have sisters that are very similar in age and they're hitting it off too like the families are just very very close um, and then to fa- to go down to the signing of Ace Bailey down in Atlanta, like what a week before your season that you wanted to focus on tells me basically like you're this close, closer than close, and it's just, this is gonna get done. I, I'm fully convinced right now this is gonna get done. Said it before, said it again. Dylan Harper will probably be a Scarlet Knight when it's all said and done. <laughs> probably, <laughs> <laughs> it will be a Scarlet Knight when it's all said and done. Um, yeah. Gotta gotta cover all my bases a little bit just mm-hmm. in case, but you never know. But uh, no, like Duke's out. Like Indiana's been out. He trolled the shit out of them. Auburn, <laughs> I don't even know how the hell they made the top five. It's just like, hey, here you go. Like, um, and in Kansas, Kansas was a threat, but then they added a guard. And uh, I forget what his name is, LeBaron or something. Yeah, I yeah, I show that. Um. So yeah, and I feel like I'm missing a school too, but. Duke, no, Kansas, Duke. Oh yeah, I said Duke. They're, they've been out for a while. They've they've had a guard. Team. And he doesn't want to play with Cooper Flags. The rumor. And wasn't the nerves that he was so going to go visit, you know, Kansas and things like that? Like, I mean, I mean, unless he made some yeah, secret visit, bit, I mean, I, I we're still waiting on that. So he didn't. No, take he didn't make yeah, any visits. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he's been too busy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the no. kids just. Yeah, and I, I, and his the only visits he's made since those rumors have started, since the summer has ended, has been Rutgers. Oh wait, Rutgers, and it's like that's it. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw him when he when uh Ace is rumored to come on Wednesday, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be there anymore. But next time Ace comes to campus, I wouldn't be shocked if Dylan just showed up on the sideline and it's like, oh hey, there he is again. <laughs> like, yep, he's and committed. I mean, I'm telling you, Dylan's been to a lot of games at Rutgers over the years, even last year, even not to see his brother. So it wouldn't shock yeah. me at all if, especially if Ron's in the area, Ron's going to come to games. 
And you know, he's yeah. also probably going to join him because it's like his best friend, his younger brother. So, yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. So we covered a lot here. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to hit on before we, we head out today? No, I mean, the, just, the, I would talk a little Jets, but I don't want to, so I'm good. But Thank I, you for, for giving us all that. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think the only thing that's interesting right now is uh, football's getting – well, number one, Michigan's not leaving the Big Ten, so put that one to, dead, to bed. Um, number two, college football's getting interesting. We're getting approaching that off-season type not, – not even off-season. We're approaching like a – ugly season for coaches they're all getting fired right now everyone's getting let go i keep an eye on some just because recruiting there is a couple spots still left now right now there's no one notable that they're going after but you have to watch because some of these coaches get fired and like i know people have brought up jalen hornsby um down at texas a&m but that's not going to happen from what i was told so just xna that one kick uh, whatever cross it off of your bucket or your list bucket list i can't talk today um can't talk any day uh, but, uh, yeah, so keep an eye out on recruiting because there's going to be some interesting moves in the coaching, uh, industry over the next couple of weeks. Um, some decisions have to be made. Northwestern is one Michigan state has to make a decision. Um, Mississippi state now has let go of their coach, Texas A&M. Like it's, it's getting really interesting. So keep an eye out there. And, uh, I think that's really it. Big game on Wednesday. And, uh, I'm sure we'll have, uh, another pod on Thursday previewing football or something i don't know yeah um another big event Rutgers wrestling is hosting top five ranked virginia tech on friday night mm-hmm. there's a big push to have that be a sellout i think it's better than 50 percent chance it does sell out um if you have nothing going on friday night or even if you have some things that can conflict with it that match is going to be incredible um i do think we have a good chance of winning it because we have wrestlers at basically every weight ranked. I think they have wrestlers at every weight ranked right now. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a great match. Um, if you've never been to a Rutgers wrestling match, this is probably the, the, the best introduction to it because it is intense. So just wanted to shout out the wrestling program. Big event on Friday night. Yes. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, guys. For me and Richie and Craig, this has been another edition of the Network Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.